It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 27 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.30, it is the first of a two-segment chat with stand-up comedian John Christ of his headlining show at ACL Live at the Moody Theater on Friday. And in mere seconds, it is the first of a two-segment chat with my friend Justin Wells of Inside Texas and InsideTexas.com on that Longhorn football team making their first ever college football playoff appearance. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, normally on Wednesdays starting at 6.15, you'll hear from this next guy for a couple of segments, but we're moving things up for a second straight week. He is Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com and the On Texas Football YouTube channel, talking Longhorn football and more. Justin, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Man, another day in paradise that just 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 paying attention to the portal, the playoffs and all that in between. Why don't we start with uh, the portal? Uh, what, what's going on in the portal? We've seen a couple of Texas players enter, some of whom actually get to remain a part of the team through the uh, college football playoff run, assuming that they uh, they mind their P's and Q's and stay on top of their work. But in terms of uh, guys from other schools who are part of the portal, who should Longhorn fans know about right now? You know, it's it's really early. Uh, the, 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 these coaches are going through a process of really evaluating everybody. There's only a few spots that they're looking at at bringing in guys, tight end, uh, linebacker, wide receiver, um, it, you know, safety. Safety is a big position as well. And so I think they're it, I think it's a little premature with with names because this, this thing is just now starting to flow. You know, there's been reports that Juice Wells out of South Carolina has interest in Texas. Um, there, you know, I, I reached out to, to Jalil Skinner, the tight end from Miami. Texas had recruited him before. Handful of other guys. I just think it's a little too early to really know because you know Sark is very judicious when it comes to the portal. He is very particular. You not only have to be a, a physical fit, a mental fit, but you got to be a culture fit. And so I think you're going to see Texas be, you know, they're going to they're going to be they're going to be picky. They're going to be strict when it comes to who they bring in. But those are the positions I think you should expect to see guys, you know, like down the road, Andrew McCuba, the Austin uh, native gets in the portal out of Clemson. I think that's a guy that you could probably pay attention to because granted Texas needs safeties and Texas and McCuba had a pretty good relationship during that recruitment. I think that's a kid you can pay attention to. And so as long as you focus on those positions, I think you'll know what direction Texas ultimately goes when this stuff starts to pick up a lot more. So as far as the current team goes, Justin, boy, what a uh, position they find themselves in now. A lot of us in the preseason thought there was a chance that they could make the college football playoff, but the first goal was win game one, of course, and then uh, take care of business in Tuscaloosa in week two and ultimately get to that uh, that first stated goal, which is making it to the Big 12 championship game and then winning that game. And boy, did they accomplish that goal last Saturday over Oklahoma State. What was the most impressive aspect of that beatdown of the Cowpokes in Arlington last weekend? You know, I felt like it was from start to finish. They, they, they had the right mindset at 11 a.m. to start strong, to hold steady, and to finish. And I, I think we saw something similar to Texas Tech. This Texas team is just now starting to peak. And, man, 
this is the time of year to do that. And I think you have to give Sark and those coaches a ton, absolute ton of credit. Players as well, they bought in. But I just think they were dominant from the snap. From the first quarter to the buzzer, Texas made every right decision. They played great defense. Ewers throws a touchdown on the first drive. What was it, the fourth or fifth play of the game? And then they end the game tossing the ball to Jonathan Brooks. Arch Manning did on, on, on when they landed uh, lined up in the Landry formation. And so, to me, it was just dominance from start to finish. That, and that's how you beat teams ultimately is you got to take them mentally out of it. I don't think Oklahoma – after the second touchdown, I think Oklahoma State looked at each other and goes, guys, this isn't going to be the comeback that we've been seeing in the last few months. Hmm. This is going to be a tough hill to, to climb up. You know, and, and, and holding the Offensive Player of the Year in the Big 12 – you know, future All-American Ollie Gordon to 34 yards rushing on 13 carries. I mean, what isn't there to like? I could sit here and and, and talk about this for another 10 minutes. But all I'm going to say is Texas was dominant from the start, the middle to the finish. And that's – if you're a playoff team, I feel like that's how you should play. That's how you should look in a conference championship game. And ultimately, I think that's one of the reasons they're in. It was a huge bummer when Jonathan Brooks went down to that knee injury, not just because of his importance to this football team and their success on offense, but also just a good dude who had worked really hard and waited for his opportunity to show why he deserved to be the starter at running back. By the same token, though, it was, it's been great to see over these last handful of weeks each of C.J. Baxter, Jaden Blue, and Keelan Robinson uh, really come together and step up to fill that void. And so it's a bit of a three-headed monster at that position right now with teams really having to uh, prepare for three completely different styles of play at that position, depending on who's in the game. You know, it's funny because Tashar Choice is known as a recruiter. The guy goes out and gets who he wants, essentially, and that's what he's done in his short time on the 40 acres. He's been a really, really good recruiter. Now we can see he's coaching these guys up. You know, I, I found it interesting. Cedric Baxter, after his touchdown run, obviously the, 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 the sideline was excited. Sark, Choice were excited. But the first thing Choice did was bring him to the side, and there was a teaching moment there because I think he hit the, the wrong gap hmm. on that run, even though he scored. And and Choice wanted to make sure this was a teaching moment. Yes, you just scored a touchdown, but there's a certain way to do it. Even Sark came over. Patted him on the head, and you saw Choice say, you know what, Coach, I got this. I got this. Sark pats him on the head and walks away. There is a that, That's a good system. When your assistant coaches are coaching your boys up. Listen, C.J. Baxter was a known. Five-star out of Florida coming to, to Austin early, ready to play. He was a starter going into the season, Trey. But Jaden Blue was kind of a speedster that didn't have a lot of experience. Trey Wisner was a was a, one of those hard – hard-nosed type tailbacks, type football players that you really didn't know much about that didn't have any experience. <laughs> Three, four weeks later, Texas might have the deepest running back room in the country. Yeah, And I don't think we ever thought that in August. You know, Jonathan Brooks and, and Baxter were going to be the main guys, and you were just going to have Blue and, and Wisner and, and Keelan Robinson as your backups. But Jesus Christ, every single one of them brings their own – Skill set. Keelan Robinson is literally a rocket. 
The guy, if he's not cutting Grammy award-winning albums, he, he's he's scoring touchdowns in the Big 12 championship, mm-hmm. Mr. Double Platinum. Jaden Blue has a burst that nobody else in that t- tailback room has. Nobody has that Jaden Blue curse. I mean, it, there's no blues clues to this. This guy can tote the rock. And then it's Trey Wisner. You know, somebody asked me the other day, what's a comparison? And I said, you know what? He reminds me of Hodges Mitchell with an attitude. That was an early two, early uh, late '90s, early 2000s tailback Mitchell. He followed Ricky Williams at Texas. Had two really good seasons on the 40. He re- that's who Wisner reminds me of. Said Wisner's got kind of an attitude. This guy, and we've seen him on special teams. So Jonathan Brooks goes down, and you know what we learned? Texas has probably the deepest running back room in the country. And I got to tell you, it's just another interesting side note on what has been an unbelievable story chapter after chapter of this 2023 season. Very well said there. And by the way, the position group gets even healthier uh, with the recruiting going on at running back for, uh, for next season and beyond too. Oh yeah. You got Jarrett Gibson enrolling in a month. You've got Christian Clark, who is one of the most underrated tailbacks in the country. Listen, Texas and choice had their shot at some of these five-star backs and they went in on Christian Clark. Now he's a four-star out of Arizona. He, he he's a he's kind of a he's a little bit of a bigger back. There, 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 there's a little Bijan there, but not much, but just enough to get your attention. And so yeah, <laughs> enrolling in, you know, I, I think Clark comes uh in June. I believe Jarrett Gibson will be on campus in, in, in January. The room is gonna get better. And here's another thing: Texas is in on two of the top three running backs in the nation for 2025. He's Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Coming up, one more segment with Justin on the other side. We're going to get into that matchup with Washington in that semifinal game in New Orleans. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. One more segment with Justin Wells of InsideTexas.com and the On Texas Football YouTube channel. All right, Justin, we shift our focus now to the Longhorns matchup with Washington. It's two versus three. And theoretically, this is a Washington team that does something well that Texas defense has struggled with at times, and that is defending talented wide receivers in the intermediate routes and downfield. Michael Penix is a very accurate passer. But Texas is still favored, according to Vegas right now. How do you see this matchup shaking out, at least as it stands on December 6th? Yeah, um, it's so early. It's so early, and, and you and I have so much airtime to cover on this. And, and it, this is going to be fun because don't forget, we covered we covered the Alamo Bowl last year when Texas faced Washington. So there's some familiarity there. I, I remember a, a lot about that team and that group, and I just remember watching them this season going, yeah, that's what we saw last year. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, Michael Penix, and you know, the guy played four years in Indiana. But in the last two seasons in Washington, he has 64 touchdowns. Jalen Polk uh, is, their, is their third best wide receiver. He'd be a number one on 75% of the Division I teams in college football these days. He's been tremendous. You know, you, you, you worry about Penix and you worry about that passing attack because they're lethal. And then you see Jalen Catalan hit the portal. 
And then you see Xavier and Bryce hit the portal, and you're thinking, oh, man. And then B.J. Allen today hits the portal, and you're thinking, okay, those are some DBs. You know, those are guys you're going to need. Um, first and foremost, I think Sark's been tremendous in letting these guys play, even if they do hit the portal. But just the early the early returns on, on Texas-Washington, I think both teams feel like they have advantages. You know, if you'll remember last year, Quint, this was Quinn Ewer's coming out party. Yeah, He, he had his, his best passing was in that game against Washington. And, and one reason is because they opened it up a little bit more. They weren't so rigid in their offense. They went more spread. And also because Washington's secondary can be had. Well, that secondary is not a whole lot different. They do have one relative of Malik Muhammad, the freshman corner at Texas. <laughs> His cousin or brother, or Jabbar Muhammad, is playing <laughs> for Washington right now. He, he's a transfer from Oklahoma State. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Jaron Thompson and Jalen Polk went to high school together in Lufkin. Uh, there's just so many little little bitty stories that you can kind of look at each other and remember each other. And this is going to be a fun thing to break down over the next two weeks, over next month. But I do think Texas is favored for a reason. I think they have played the best football up to this point. Washington's most impressive wins are really both against Oregon which, you know, a great team, and, and, and they did it well. But I think Texas' defensive line is worth a field goal. I think that's the way Vegas has been eyeing Texas for the last couple months. That D-line, that front seven might be good enough to, to warrant a three-game favorite because they're so dominant, Trey. They, they, we talked about it earlier, Gordon being, you know uh, – only getting 34 yards rushing. That was huge. That's a guy that's got almost 1,400 for the season. If Texas D-line, which is stronger this year than it was last year, believe it or not, they lost guys last year, Ajomo, Coburn, some, some other guys, you wouldn't think they would be that much better, but they are. And so I think that's the equalizer. I think the Texas passing attack will be successful. I think the Washington passing attack will be successful. But I think the Texas D-line – is going to neutralize a lot of what Washington wants to do because once they're not able to run the ball, it's going to be a little bit easier defending that pass. It'll be a little bit easier when you've got safeties over the top. And so, and one of the best star nickels in the game in John A. Barron. And so I can't wait for us to really dive into it because these are two really well-coached teams. Whereas it's funny because there's so much, there's such a different contrast in both games. Michigan-Alabama is going to be a fist fight. Mm -hmm. It is going to be a slugfest where the score might be 13-10 to 10 if we're lucky. I mean, it's going to come down to the trenches, three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, in a pool of blood, whatever it takes. Texas and Washington are going to open this thing up. They're going to try to, to, to make it a, a scoring affair down in New Orleans. And frankly, I can't wait. I think this is going to be a cool rematch from last year's Alamo Bowl. I think both teams have have weapons and, and, and strengths that the other team's going to have to, to pay attention to. But ultimately, I think Texas is the favorite because of the D-line. I think that group is worth a field goal, if not a couple more points. And when you got Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy catching touchdowns during your regular season, hmm. buddy, that's a good time. Well, it's crazy to think about also, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here because obviously we have a semifinal game to play, but Byron Murphy and Devondre Sweat are gone after this year. You may not see that big of a drop-off with this defensive line as good as they've been so far because there are so many talented dudes waiting in the wings too. You'll see somewhat of a drop. Devondre Sweat, I mean, 
it's going to be hard to replace 365 pounds. It, it really is, especially as confident and as active he is. It It's going to be difficult. It won't. It's going to be a little bit harder than, than you might anticipate, but but you said it. There are guys waiting in the wings. If you watch the second half, you saw some Sadir Mitchell last yep. week. Sadir Mitchell is the next sweat. He is a large human. He's a guy that Kyle Flood probably winks at trying to get him on the offensive line every once in a while. <laughs> Sadir Mitchell's going to be a monster. Vernon Broughton could have that a big year in his last season. Alfred Collins potentially coming back. This could be his sweat year. Because we know Collins has the talent to play in the NFL, but he, he maybe he needs one more year to put all that together. And so they've got some some vets. They've got some young cats coming in. Listen, the three guys they have from the 2024 cycle are all good. Alex January at Duncanville. DeAndre Robinson out of Orlando Jones in Florida. He's been a monster this year. And don't forget Melvin Hills III, the defensive lineman out of uh, Lafayette Christian down in Louisiana. So they're going to try to replace some of these guys. It'll be difficult to replace Sweat and Murphy. Murphy is unbelievably smart, unbelievably motivated, and half canine. Sweat's just a gigantic, large human who is confident, who is smart, and who these players love. And he's always good for a quote and, and a one-liner. He's got a great personality. I really do think they're going to miss – it's going to be like losing Casey Hampton and, 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 and Sean Rogers. Like, it's going to suck. But you're right. They've got some dudes waiting in the wings, and they've got a Vernon Broughton and an Alfred Collins potentially where that first year in the SEC, they won't have this D-line, but they should have a pretty damn good one. What do you think the best safety combo is for the first half of the game against Washington Justins, considering that Derek Williams, unfortunately, it's a terrible targeting call. I realize that uh, it was not a, not a smart play by him in the moment. He did kind of blindside the uh, Oklahoma State player who did, in Derek Williams' uh, defense, turn his head towards Derek right before he got hit. But he's going to be out for the first half for that targeting call in the Big 12 championship game. What do you think the best safety combination is for this team in the first half as a result, especially because Jalen Catalan is no longer a part of things? Of course you would ask me an excellent question like that. Oh, man. The best combo, regardless, is Derek Williams and Michael Taft with Jaron Thompson yeah. coming off the bench. That's your best combo. But like you said, Derek Williams – Kind of a stupid play. He didn't really even hit the guy, but just it was a stupid play by a freshman. He's going to regret it, not you know missing the first half. Texas is really going to regret not having him back there. He's probably the best safety in the program. Yep. Right now, it's Jaron Thompson and Michael Taft. Those okay. are your two best guys. And listen, we've seen plenty of those two guys work their magic this year. What they might lack in athleticism and, and twitch and size, they make up with in angles and brains. Because those are your two guys back there that they're not going to see something they're not used to. They're never going to be surprised by anything the offense does. Those are two of your most prepared guys on defense, period. Also two of your smarter guys, incredibly highly intelligent kids. So I think it's Jaron and I think it's Taft are, are the guys back there until Derek Williams is, is allowed to come back on the field beginning of the second half. And if I'm Washington – I, that that that's the point I'm going after. Those are the guys I'm going for. You know, Ryan Watts will be healthy. Terrence Brooks, Manny Muhammad, Gavin Holmes, they're going to be good at corner. And so safety might be the, that first half. Safety might be where you take some chances because once the Raptor gets released out of Jurassic Park, he's going to be back on the field the first play of the second half. And, and I think with him and Taff are your best combo for that part. But to start the game, you got to go with Jaron and Michael. Yeah, you want to talk about a guy 
firing off like a rocket ship. Derek Williams, who's going to be motivated to get in for the second half, also being a Louisiana kid. Oh, Playing yeah. that game in the Superdome, too. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I mean, he he grew up in Westgate, New Iberia, not not that far away. And so this will be a homecoming of sorts for for Derek, for Arch Manning, for Will Randall, for uh, a number of, of these players with, with Louisiana ties. All right, last question, Justin. Prediction on Cowboys-Eagles on Sunday night? Oh, man. Man, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> Dallas is playing good. I, I didn't expect them to play this good at the beginning of the season. Um, granted, they're beating up on bad teams, but you know what? It's the NFL. A win is a win in that league. It doesn't matter how you do it. Every team is is formidable at some point. Yep. Beating Seattle the way they did, I think, gave them a lot of confidence because they just didn't play that well that game. But neither did Philadelphia. They're coming off a drumming of San Francisco, so you know you're going to get a better effort from Jalen Hurts in that group. Man, where is it at? Is it in Philly or in Dallas? It's in Dallas, and they've won something like 14 straight games at Jerry World. Yeah, 14 or 15 in a row. Oh, man. My gut tells me Philadelphia. Only because they're coming off that loss like they did to San Francisco. I I think the Eagles are probably a field goal or a touchdown better. And it sounds blasphemous because the truth is Dak Prescott is playing at an MVP level right now, and it's not just Dak. CeeDee Lamb has taken the biggest jump from the first two years to this season. Here he is, Justin Wells, Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, the On Texas Football YouTube channel. Check him out on this show every Wednesdays for a couple of segments. Justin, thank you as always for the time. We will hit recruiting a little bit harder next week as we get closer to National Signing Day 1. In the meantime, have yourself a great rest of the week, bud. Nothing but love, brother. Coming up, it is a two-segment chat with the very funny John Christ, a stand-up comedian who's going to be here in Austin on Friday night performing live at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. John Christ is a longtime stand-up comedian who is currently traveling the country on his emotional support tour that stops here in Austin on Friday, December 8th at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. Just a few tickets remain for that show. Go to ACLLive.com to snag those. Check out all of his stuff at JohnChristComedy.com. John, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? What's going on, brother? About to pack up the uh, bags, load up the tour bus, and head your way, my man. Cool. Well, I'm excited because I'm going to be at the show at ACL Live at Moody Theater on Friday night. As I just told you before we hit record here, I've seen a lot of stand-up in this city, and I've seen some music shows at ACL Live. I've never seen stand-up before, so I'm thrilled uh, that you're the guy that gets to to help me uh, understand just how great a venue that is for stand-up comedy, too. You know what? I thought you were going to go as a comedian. I thought you, you're, if you talk about your first time, I thought you're going to use a couple of the different ways to describe that. But uh, yeah, that's the way we'll we'll say it like that. Yeah, comedy comedy at that place is awesome because the uh, it's like pretty close. It's not 360, but it goes all the way to your 180s. Yeah, and that that's that uh, it goes all the way around you. So comedy, it's kind of a uh, 
it's an experience that you kind of share with the person next to you. So you need to kind of be a little tight in there. Have you ever performed in the round before where you literally have an audience all around you? I've oh, heard yeah. mixed reviews from people. Some comedians love it and some comedians, it just freaks them out. Yeah, it is. Uh, I did what this place called the wagon wheel up in, uh, it was like a, it was like an Amish barn up in, uh, shoot, I don't know where it was, Pennsylvania somewhere. And that was like the only the only venue there was. I mean, historically, Dane Cook has done it. Uh, one of his specials was in the round. And then Nate Bargatze did his last special in the round. But, uh, yeah, the round is a unique, uh, unique experience. Obviously, you need all the uh, monitors to when the comedian's not facing you. We've done it a handful of times. Uh, it's hit or miss. Yeah, it's like you have to pay attention to not only what you're saying and, and the material that you're trying to present to the people. Yep. You've got to make sure that you're you're kind of turning in all directions so uh, no one group is uh, is facing your backside the entire time, right? I think somebody – I think somebody – who was it? They thought they, – they just stood stationary and the stage moved. <laughs> but they told him like no 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 you gotta move like you gotta run around too yeah i don't know where you deliver the joke to you just go section by section or do you move faster i mean that it's probably probably like a lot of things you get to get some practice at it and then you, you figure out if you like it or not well it's been really cool to uh to watch your career evolve over the years and i was uh just listening to your the latest episode of your podcast net positive oh. And you were talking about doing four shows in Phoenix recently. Yep. And it was interesting to hear your perspective on understanding the different crowds that you were going to be performing for. Like the crowd on a yep. certain night, that's the first group to buy tickets. Those are going to yep. be the most hardcore uh, stand-up comedy fans. So they're going to get it a little bit more than the crowd who's buying for that fourth show, who, uh, as you put it in your podcast, they may think that you're going to be showing them videos the entire time, but you're going to be doing your stand-up comedy. Uh, so it's fascinating wow. to hear you talk about just getting yourself prepared for the type of crowd that you're going to be performing for and maybe having a little bit of patience with that less yeah. experienced crowd on the Sunday night show. Yeah, comedy is funny in a way because a lot of, like you said, you're like, I never, you've bought, you've gone to comedy shows before, but think of the amount of people that have ever been to two live comedy shows. Let's much less, let's say a handful, five, right? So I'm thinking if you, if you go, if I went and saw my favorite band, right? If I went and saw Drake or, Coldplay or Hillsong or whoever you want to say and you saw them and then you saw them the next night and then the next night or we've been to a handful of Morgan Wallen concerts I guess you you like to say one show is better than the next you got to go to a, a bunch of them to know like you got to go to at least five I'm guessing to know oh that was a good show or the bad show so we obviously know as performers oh my gosh somebody met me in the airport the other day and they were like, we were at the Greenville show. And I go, early show or late show? Because I know how every show is. And if like, that's a different experience. Now the, now the crowd probably doesn't know. And a lot of my fans are, it's their first time coming to comedy. Yeah. We've been to the ACL Live before. But if you haven't been to the show, I mean, there's comedy clubs. There's arenas. There's small theaters, big theaters. There's amphitheaters. There's outdoor shows. There's brewery shows. Like, there's just so many different types of comedy shows that, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to compare them to each other. At least as a fan, the, the artist knows, though. 
not to diminish any of the other venues, but do you have a favorite type of venue that you like performing in? Like, I would assume that most comedians' favorite venue is that two to 300-seat club that has yeah. the lower ceilings. Hopefully, there's not too much food being served there, so the distraction of fried food isn't uh, yeah. wafting through the air the entire time. But uh, what is your favorite type of venue to perform to? I mean, we obviously, all of us, you know, when we when COVID happened, we, we couldn't, all the theaters were closed and the clubs were still open because they were, were considered restaurants. <laughs> Yeah. So we could so we could still work in those and it's a, just a different it's a different feeling, right? Like you it's you can talk to the crowd. If you're if you're at uh ACL Live and somebody says uh says something in the front row, there's you know 2500 people in there. The rest of the people can't hear it. So it's hard to kind of do crowd work or crowd interaction, but also when you do the big ones that's a little bit more formal it's a little bit more polished it's it's like the comedy club is just you're just kind of not riffing but you're going back and forth with the audience it's more of a conversation and then you go to an arena that's like an act that's like uh with the with the um screens and all the sometimes pyro and smoke and all that so i mean i would say i like i love country music i want to see a country artist outside during the summer is where I want to see a country artist, a country artist, or I want to see a country artist in a stadium. Hmm. I'm not a big country artist in the arena guy. It's like, uh, just like the basketball arena or whoever, whatever arena is down there in Austin. You're like, ah, I've seen a bunch of them, but every, everybody's different. I, I like the amphitheaters and the sheds is what they call them. Uh, when I like to see country music. Now, on the subject of people who are newer to comedy shows uh, coming to see you or coming to see anybody else for that matter, comedy is going through a sort of uh, stand-up comedy, that is, is going through a sort of renaissance right now, which is awesome. I love more people being exposed to the art form, but with that comes the responsibility of understanding how to act at a comedy club and or comedy show, which means that there's unwritten rules in place that uh, we need to help enlighten the people on. For instance, and I love to ask this of comedians because I can only only, uh, pursue this from the audience side of things. Like, don't turn this into a Mystery Science Theater 3000 situation. Nobody wants to hear your commentary while the comedian's setting up the jokes. Just laugh when you need to laugh and otherwise let that person (laughs) do their thing. So from the stage side of things, is there an unwritten rule that you hope every Everybody who's attending a comedy show understands. Uh, okay. I would just say, I mean, I would just say, especially for my fans, I mean, you got Austin might be the closest I'm coming to them for, for four hours. And they might've, they might've bought these tickets last Christmas. So you're thinking about uh, this person has waited nine months or whatever to come see their favorite comedian. They they traveled all the way here. They got a hotel. Like, you can say, oh, my God, we love you. And then I'll yell out back. And then, but if you're talking about railroading the show so we don't have to deal with you, and there's a lot of people around you that that love the show and love to, to come see me, and you're taken away from them. So, I mean, if some, I mean, people have yelled out things that are funny. And I think what, TikTok is done is kind of like emboldened people because a lot of those a lot of those uh crowd work clips that you see go viral on TikTok, which is good for comedy because people are in the building, but uh 
it's really pretty simple from our from the security standpoint. If we say, hey, no talking. Uh, I mean, Kevin Hart does it. If you talk, you, you get kicked out of there. And you see one person get kicked out, and that's about uh, that's about the end of that. So usually the, the, it, it goes about as as long as the comedian will allow it to. Now, if the comedian, in all honesty, doesn't have much to talk about on his side, he might he might relish that. If he doesn't have really much to say, or or he might hope for something, someone to pop off in the crowd because that's going to be a fun clip for him online. I don't particularly love it, but usually you find that the people um, are trying to be helpful, or they 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 love the idea of like throwing tomatoes at someone or heckling them because you hate them. That you would rarely rarely see that. Except here's where you'd see that. And when you see videos of it is in New York City where they didn't come to see you. Mm. They just came to the comedy club. So my, in, in my scenario, everybody came to see me and they got dressed, took a shower and went out to dinner knowing what they were getting into. I don't think it's ever happened to me once. But let's say you go to open mic night in New York City. And uh, a comedian starts talking about something that is uh, sensitive to you, whether it be religion, uh, no matter what side, uh, politics, no matter what side, health, family, violence or criminal behavior of some of some kind. I'm not going to say you shouldn't yell out. I mean, if you're not yell out, but maybe you shouldn't leave or be opposed to that's part of comedy. You want to do well and you don't want to say things that are offensive. You want to kind of poke when you have spots but you know leave that to leave that to bill burr leave that to louis ck maybe an open micer that's doing a showcase in new york city maybe that's not the time (laughs) he is stand-up comedian john christ performing at acl live at the moody theater this friday night a few tickets that remain can be purchased at acllive.com coming up one more segment with john on the other side it's sports day plus with trey elling on 1027 ESPN and 1027ESPN.com. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back with one more segment with stand-up comedian John Chris. He's performing at ACL Live at the Moody Theater on Friday night. Not a ton of tickets remain. To grab the few that do, go to ACLLive.com. John, I don't recall seeing your name a ton here in Austin over the years. Have you performed in Austin before? Let's see. I well, I, you know what? I kind of skipped uh, the comedy club stage, at least in Austin. Like yeah. I was, I was coming up in the comedy clubs, um, Denver and LA, mm-hmm. and then I kind of got popular a little bit overnight, I would say. And then I, the first time I ever came to Austin, actually on tour, funny enough, was at a church. Huh. And I don't remember what the name of the church was, but it was in probably in 2018. I was, uh, or 2019, I did two shows at a church in Austin, which were unbelievable. And then that was the end of our tour. I remember that. And then uh, 2019, I got canceled. And then 2020 and 2021 was COVID. And I think I was at ACL Live in 2022, I remember. I believe that show was sold out. And now I'm back again. Dude, your cancellation is wild, and I'm not going to rehash the details. People can just go look that up. But in terms of like, oh yeah, I'll what was it, happening dude. at that time and what what yeah. you were going through, uh, it blew my mind. And I, 
was a little bit afraid to ask about it when you and I spoke about your book a couple years ago. And Uh, and I'll maybe ask this question this way. That was a a brutal experience for you to go through. And you obviously owned uh, a lot of things on your side as well. What is the ultimate lesson that you took from that? Because uh, that is something that uh, nobody should have to go through in their lives. But you found yourself squarely in the middle of it, you know? I mean, you look back at it now, and it was like, uh, if if anybody would re- would remember 2019 like anybody anybody with a mic or a camera in front of them like you're either on the radio or you got a podcast or i mean certainly any type of entertainer people were like like uh proactively like quitting their jobs i mean people were like listen i slept with my girlfriend in college or I slept with a girl or like, and it was like, Hey, like, I'm out. I work at Warner brothers. Like just, I, it was so the movement or whatever it was, was so almost like a witch hunt in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and no one had any, you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't defend yourself. You couldn't say nothing. And, and the idea that it was just so much shame, <laughs> like surrounding especially the topic of sex and especially as a, a definitely as a Christian is yeah. like, dude, this is a Christian celebrity and sex is like the perfect storm for the media. And it was like, people were chirping stuff online saying stuff all the time. And it was so, it was such a scary time. A, because I wasn't really comfortable with being famous or popular or whatever you call it. I just kind of stepped into this uh, a year before and all these quote, allegations or whatever you call them were were from when I was like an open micer or like when I was like working in Vegas for like, I was literally working for $30 a night. I remember. And like, there was no, certainly no taking advantage of anyone or, and definitely no power dynamic at play, you know, but, but at the time the culture was not ready to hear my defense or my side or nothing. What the, the nail in the coffin is, is uh, if that would happen today, we would kind of roll our eyes and move forward and never address it. But we we're just so scared. It was so fear-based uh, that we, I don't blame anyone else. I blame my myself and the team that I had around me that we uh, reacted in fear. Uh, not, not, in conjunction with who we, who I was as a person, but which is completely understand to your point, it was completely, completely understandable in that moment because there was so much uncertainty, but one of the interesting zags that a lot of comedians have made since then. And I was talking with Donnell Rawlings about this last week is that a lot of comedians have uh, made a go of it. just doing things on their own to where they aren't necessarily having to answer to any corporate sponsors going forward. They are answering to their fans. And if your fans are no longer buying tickets, then that's a completely different beast from you being canceled by a corporation that is all about virtue signaling and put up putting up all these fronts versus actually doing anything substantive and immediately uh, acting rashly uh, in the face of something that on its face looks bad without actually digging into anything yeah which which uh, yeah looking back on it again everybody was so scared they wanted to save face too all those all those companies and they didn't but if you go Oh, well, everybody, I remember, I remember asking my sister, 
uh, you know, in a month after it all had kind of uh, blown over or whatever, I go, how many fans did I lose like on social media? And she goes, none. Hmm. I go, wait, what? She goes, yeah, they're all still there. I go, what? And then like my agent called and he was like, we got all this work, all these, all these venues are lining up to book you. And I go, all right, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Cause I'm getting trashed on Twitter, right? Trashed on the internet, trashed in the news, but you're selling out the shows. So one of these things has to be true. Either the stuff on the internet is untrue or the line around the block of fans that love your work is untrue. And you realize it's the people on Twitter that are, are we're not going to support you anyway. We're never coming to your show and just want to hear themselves virtue signal because it does feel good. It does feel good to when someone else is above you to kind of notch them down. And uh, so you go, well, and that's, that's everybody. That's not necessarily me. That's every human. You go, Oh, one of these things has to be untrue. If someone's critical of you and then also people are buying your product or, or, still interacting with you or, or or being your friend. Either you're a monster or all these people that are your friends are lying to you. Hmm. And you turn, you realize that uh, the internet, I mean, uh, some people shouldn't be allowed to have it. Let's just say that. But, uh, and I'm a different person also. You're going through something like that and uh, makes you stronger, more resilient, and makes you, make you... What's worse from that happening is if that... Honestly, I don't like to admit this, I guess, publicly, but what if that would have never happened? Hmm. I would just be kind of in denial of who I was as a person, maybe still performing in in uh, churches, but not necessarily the role model that they were holding me up to be and kind of living this double life. Like if I, I like to, I'm four years sober since that day also, which is a miracle. So yeah. I'd, I'd probably, if that never happened, I'd probably still be, performing in church, still probably be drinking in secret. I'm in a relationship now. So my life is, I would consider myself more of a Christian now than I was before, but but uh, 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 more genuine, more empathetic towards uh, every time the co- a comedian or even a comedian, every time a celebrity is getting crushed in the news, I find myself taking their side, usually. Well, congratulations on all the things you just talked about, the sobriety, the committed relationship. That's all great. And to your point, if you hadn't gone through that hardships, uh, that hardship, who knows where you would be right now. And as a matter of fact, I think that like, it's weird to call you a Christian comic because you do cover Christianity in your act and you are a (laughs) Christian. But I also feel like in a sense that that sells you sort, uh, short to a more general audience. Like, yeah. yes, you are a Christian uh, comic in a sense, but it's not like you're a Christian comic who is catering to the uh, Branch Davidian mindset of Christianity. Oh, yeah, yeah. It. We don't have too many. We don't, we don't have too many of those jokes. If I do t- touch on something Christian, it would be something that any American would understand, uh, you know. Parents uh, raising you very strict. Uh, maybe I have a joke about David and Goliath or something like very, very forty thousand foot Christian ideas. That if I if you weren't, you don't live in Texas, but it, I don't live in Texas. But if someone made a joke about Dallas versus Houston, I'd be like, oh, I get it. I get, yeah, I, yeah, I know that. I get it. Exactly. You're much more representative yeah. of every Christian I know who are level headed yeah. people. 
who <laughs> at the end of every day they have their faith. Yeah. And I and I think as an artist, if uh you know someone's a painter and they go, This person is a uh you know, an abstract painter, this person is a minimalist painter, this whatever the the it's kind of up to the people consuming the art to put it in a box. They, they they like to this person is a is a urban comic. He only performs for black people. It's like, well, that's not true. I mean, that might be the majority of his audience, but he's for everybody. But it's easier, you know, I just as we do with uh, this is a good guy, this is a bad guy. Democrats are the bad guys, Democrats are the good guys or whatever side that you're on, it's easy to put, you know, I'm a I'm a Georgia Tech fan, so I hate the Georgia Bulldogs. Or that means all Georgia Bulldog fans are bad. No, they're not. There's a lot of great ones, but you know, in general, they're pretty insufferable people. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a stereotype. But congratulations to UT, by the way, going to the uh, going to the going to the going to the uh, playoffs in college football. It's huge. I'm actually I'm going to make some jokes about that actually at the show. Now they mention it. Is that right? What did you say you're a fan of again? I'm a Georgia Tech fan, so I hate Georgia. So I was happy to see them uh, not go. God, I feel bad for you guys. It's been since Calvin Johnson, since uh, you oh, had yeah. a, a fun, entertaining football team to watch, huh? Maybe back in the maybe back in the uh, Joe Hamilton, George Gotsy days, baby. But uh, we had a split national championship with Colorado in 1990. That was the last time we were on top. That's right. Well, uh, good luck on those uh, UT football jokes and. Thank you, brother. Uh, glad to be able to see you coming in town this Friday. Here's John Christ. Uh, there are scattered tickets remaining at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. Go to ACLLive.com to try and snag those. Check out his website, JohnChristComedy.com. It's where you can follow him on social media. Check out his previous specials and a whole lot more. John, uh, thank you so much for the time again, man. It's been a real pleasure, and I look forward to the next time. Trey, you're the man, dude. Come and uh, say hi after the show. Another show is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.